0: We are here today, another day to praise the Lord in the day he made since creation, the Holy Sabbath day of the Lord. I want to say thank you to God who is the author of breath. I call him the landlord of breath. Each day when we inhale and exhale it's because of him and we must not take our breath for granted. I want to thank our pastor, Pastor John Talley, for the opportunity to stand before you today to preach the word of God. I want to ask the church to keep him in your prayers as he is away uh, because of the passing of his father. And so please keep him in your prayer, his family, in this time of bereavement. Also, as is my custom, I like to praise God for my family. And he gave me a wonderful bride. Matter of fact, this weekend, yesterday, Valentine's Day, made us ten years of wedded bliss. And so we thank God for that. And we, of course, have two young sons, Mython and MJ, who are eight and four. I thank God for that because it's something wonderful when you have a family that is together, because the devil is against that. You now there are two things that. The Lord blessed before uh, sin came in the Garden of Eden. And that those two things are the Sabbath and marriage. And the devil is after both of those things with a huge push. And so we want to be thankful and grateful that we may have these two things. If you're married, but you have the Sabbath and you have a marriage. If not, uh, the Lord will see if you'll be in that range or not for a marriage. I am grateful again, as you know, uh, I like to do what I call sermon appetizers. Uh, this is about my about 20 years in ministry now, and uh, I find that it's good to have appetizers because, God forbid you forget what I preach today, you may not forget some of these appetizers. So I'm going to give you three again today. Hopefully they will be good. Number one, <clears throat> Worry is worshipping the problem. Faith is worshipping the one that can solve it. Worry is worshipping the problem. But faith is worshipping the one that can solve it. We all go through hills and valleys in our lives. The thing about it is, do you put it in God's hand or in your hands? And so if it's in God's hands, take the worry out of it. God has it taken care of. He knows the future as if it were the past. But we can't see beyond the second that we're in. So please, number one, worry is worshiping the problem. Faith is worshiping the one that can solve it. Appetizer number two, humility is not thinking less of yourself. Rather, it is thinking of yourself less. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it is thinking of yourself less. What does that mean, preacher? I'm glad you asked. Well, when you are humble, you put other people before you. The Bible says that the Lord will raise you up. Humble yourself and the Lord will raise you up. And so the opposite is, if you raise yourself up, the Lord will abase you, put you in your place. The word joy, J-O-Y, uh, could be an, an acrostic or an acronym. J, Jesus first. O, other second. Y, yourself last. That's how you're supposed to live, and that's how the commandments are built. You have the first four commandments: Jesus first, that's between you and God. The last six commandments are between you and other people, others. And then you worry about who you are. So humility is not thinking less of yourself because we are sons and daughters of the Most High. We are valuable. However. Is thinking of yourself less. Appetizer number three. I choose not to judge others because in some areas of my life I'm still on trial. I choose not to to judge others because in some areas of my life I'm still on trial. What do you mean? A simple story in the Bible, Christ, a little parable. He says, don't worry about the speck of dust in your neighbor's eye when you have a two-by-four in yours. Don't worry about the speck of dust, one piece of sawdust in someone's eye. When you have a two by four in your own eyes sticking out, let the Lord deal with you and your life. Afterwards, you may help someone on, on their journey. I choose not to judge others because in some areas of my own life, I'm still on trial. Some of us have issues that are not visible. And so we think that we're okay. But the ones who have visible issues, we point at them. When the things that are our issues, we put aside. Watch yourself. I must watch myself. The Lord is not mocked. He knows everything. And I've been saying this for the last 20 years, wherever I preach, wherever I teach, Proverbs 15.3 is my favorite verse in the Bible. Proverbs 15.3, which basically says, the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. You can fool any of us that you are holy, but you can't fool the Lord. Right now, it's Sabbath morning. We all have a nice outfit. We smell good. Our haircuts are done and our nails are painted and everything else looks good. But how were we during the week with our families? We don't know. You know in your house. But right now we all look holy, holy, holy. But during the week we're probably we're demon, demon, demon. So let's be careful with that, okay? Those are today's appetizers. I have a, another tradition I do. And... I come down. I I I I come down. I come down to the main floor to preach the service, to preach the sermon, because all of us are at the foot of Jesus. We all need Jesus. So at this time, let us bow our heads for a moment of prayer in song. And the people of God said together, amen. We'll come on down to the main floor. You know, in, uh, like I said, my 20 years already as a preacher, as a teacher, as whatever my title is, I've learned one thing. I'm more focused on people having a personal relationship with Jesus than knowing all the Bible stories. It's great to know the prophecies and Daniel Revelation. It's great to know all the different things in the Bible. But all of that is null and void if you don't have a personal walk with the Lord. To me, those are secondary. Yes, they're important. Don't get me wrong. They're important. But in Matthew 7, uh, 21 to 23, Jesus has these, uh, these words that are heavy. Depart from me, I never knew you. And it's not part of my message, but I'm going to go quickly w- w- with this. When he says, I never knew you, that's a Greek word, "new," ginosko, in the Greek. And that is talking about Intimacy. You were never my intimate friend. You didn't come to me when you had trouble. You didn't come come to me when you were doing well. You came to me only when you were in a bind. And so I always say this. Your true Christianity is revealed in times of prosperity, not in times of adversity. Please, church, let this sink in. Your true Christianity is revealed in times of prosperity, not adversity. What do you mean, preacher? 2001, 9-11, when that thing happened in New York, that's a huge uh, devastation. Twin Towers went down. People died. We were attacked as a nation. The next two or three months... Church was packed as if the Lord was coming today. Church was—I was living in Miami. Church was packed. Wednesday night meeting was packed. South Monday was packed. So you fast forward now—six months, eight months, a year—starts to dwindle down. Oh, now we're okay. Let's go back to how we really are. True Christianity. Is revealed in prosperity when all your bills are paid when your marriage is awesome when you're healthy when you're rich do you still yearn for God do you still yearn for God when your bills are paid your marriage is awesome your kids are in a church your wallet is fat your purse is fat do you still rush to God Or do you only rush to God when the marriage is on the rocks? The kids want to say, forget you, mom and dad. The doctor says, you have an illness. That's when you're on your knees. True Christianity is revealed in times of prosperity, not adversity. So let's see. Uh, Today, if you look at your... uh, cover of the program, you'll see different pictures of a little baby at different stages. Today's uh, topic is the prerequisite. Prerequisite, what is that supposed to mean? The dictionary defines it as something that you officially must have or do before you can have or do something else. So when I was talking with Ms. Lorraine throughout the week about a picture to put on the program. I said, what about a baby going from these stages? You just can't come out the womb and start walking. There are some prerequisites. You come out the womb, you on your back in the crib. For how many months? Then you can turn around and sleep on your, on your uh, face. When you come out the womb, you can't sleep. If you go on your face, you may suffocate. There are stages. Then you sit up in the crib. Oh my goodness, he's sitting up. Oh my goodness, it's like a big deal. Oh my, He's sitting up, he's sitting up. All right, then they grab onto the side of the uh, crib and and pull themselves, oh my goodness. Take out the the video camera. You're like, you're you're so excited because your baby is doing what it should be doing. And then after a while, some babies at 10 months, 11 months, maybe even nine months, they start to get up and walk. Some babies are quicker than others, but usually 10 months to a year or so, they're going to start walking, okay? And so, but there are things that must happen before other things can happen. And so something that you officially must have or do before you can have or do something else, that's what the word prerequisite means. Is there a prerequisite for salvation? Is there a prerequisite for salvation? And the thing about it is, I got some goosebumps because last night and this morning. Last night we had a, like an adventurer or a Bible store Bible study, and some of the texts that were being used. are in here and I was like, whoa, this is uh, this is God led. And this morning, some of the things that were being said are in here too. I was like, whoa, whoa, Lord, this is something that's beyond my power. But you're showing me today this must be taught, must be shared, okay? And so the Bible clearly states in John 316 that we are saved by believing in him. However, what does believing in him mean? So, you know, the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Believing in him. And as I'm going through this, I have to also add this too, because some people are visiting and they won't come back here next week. They may be going back home or wherever they're going to go. So I want to say this as well, because this this verse, John 3 16, is probably the most famous verse in the Bible, but I want to also pinpoint something else in here. This verse also teaches that there is no eternal hellfire. Other religions teach that there is eternal health fight. If you are bad when you're alive and you die, you go to hell and you burn forever. If you were good when you were alive, you die, you go to heaven, live forever. If you were in the middle when you were alive, you weren't like a murderer or whatever those heinous people do, but you, were, you, you also were not uh, in church, but you were in the middle, you go, you go where you go to purgatory and you have to earn some points from the saints and then you go to heaven, all right? But this verse if you read it over and over again, it tells you there's no eternal hellfire. Because it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not, what? Perish! But have everlasting life. So flip it around. So who does not believe in him shall, what? Perish! Can you perish if you're alive? No, you perish by being dead. The most famous verse in the Bible teaches us so many things. If you perish, you cannot be alive and burning. And if you think even more on this, the only way to burn in hell forever is to be granted eternal life. How can you burn forever unless you are alive forever? Who gives power to live forever? The Lord. The only way to burn in hell forever is to be given life eternal. And the Bible said in this one main verse, probably the one verse that the world knows whether you are in church or not, is John 3:16. 3, 3, But whosoever does not believe shall perish, and not, and whosoever believes shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So right now we're dealing with what does believing in him mean? I call it true believing. Believing in him means more than simply saying that you believe in him because even the demons believe in him. James 2.19, even the demons believe and they tremble. True believing is when your action, deeds, works reflect your belief. James 2.17, faith without works is dead. I can tell my wife I love you as much as I want. But how will she know I love her? By protecting her, by being there for her, talking with her. Talk can be cheap. You know, I'm a huge, uh, huge football fan. Way back, well, I say way back, in my lifetime, about 25 years ago, uh, uh, my my team, Buffalo Bills, lost to the Dallas Cowboys in the Super Bowl twice, but uh, one of the times when we lost to them, the coach of the Cowboys, Jimmy Johnson, he was hyped up when in the locker room after they won. And he said, uh, how about them Cowboys? And everybody was hyped up because they won. But he always used to say this to his team, if you're going to talk the talk, you have to walk the walk. So even he believed in this. If you're going to talk to talk, you have to walk the walk. If you're going to say, I believe in the Lord, that's the first part. You're saying it with your mouth, but now you have to live it with your life. Because even the demons believe. They know God is real, but they don't follow him because they're demons. But they believe in God, of course. They saw him at work before they were cast out with Lucifer. They saw him in his glory. They know he's there. He's true. He's, he's alive. He's real. But they have now turned their back on him with the devil to go against him. So believing, that's why I call it true believing. You can't just tell your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your husband, your wife, your children, you love them, and your actions do not show it. Next. <laughs> <coughs> Fake Christians. The word of God is against fake Christians, as noted in Matthew 7, 21 and 23. Bible says not every, The Lord says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does. The will of my Father, who is in heaven. Verse 23, then I will declare to them, I never knew you, which means now this is, this is the two types of people, okay? You're the ones who show that they are on God's side, the ones who don't. The ones who didn't, they were saying Lord, Lord, oh, majesty, oh, you are so majestic, but their lives didn't show it. Now, I'm not suggesting, well, I don't want to go past myself, but I'll get there soon. I'm not saying that You're saved by your good works. Because you're not. You're saved by the blood of of the Lord, of Jesus. But when the Lord saves you, you have to reflect that. You have to live that way. I never knew you. Depart from me you workers of iniquity. Once again, that word that word there, I never knew you. That's that Greek word, man. Ginosko, ginosko, which means intimacy. Deep sharing. This church has a many people in it right now, but there are a few people who you would consider your intimate friends. When you're going through something in life that's difficult, you will call one or two people in here. Maybe 100 people in here, 20 people in here, but it'll be one or two people you're going to call. Intimate friends that you will confide in. Christ says, I want to be at that level even higher. Even when you're not going through strife. That's my initial point. When you're going through the good times, I want you to come to me every day. I'm not a genie in a bottle. I'm not Santa Claus. I am your creator. I'm your savior. When the bills are paid, when the health is great, when the kids are honorable, I want you to seek me every day. Not just when it's the opposite. What is the prerequisite God is looking for? We're still building to this now. The question of the day is, what is the prerequisite for salvation? To answer this question, we must first know what God is like. What is God like? This was was, uh, spoken this morning, 1 John 4, 7, 8. Beloved, this was in the morning when we were talking, when they came up here about the blood drive. They mentioned this verse. I was like, oh, my goodness, it's in my slides. 1 John 4, 7, 8. <coughs> Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Look at this word again. Gino school. You had new no, ginosko, knows God. Anyone who does not love does not ginosko know God because God is love. Because God is love. And we're still building up. We're still building up. Bingo. Since God is love, We must love in order to be in his will. But what does love actually look like? Because we have to be able to have something where we could almost have a tangible thing or what can I do? How can I be the way God wants me to be? What does love actually look like? So I have two biblical screenshots of love. Romans 12, 9 through 21, and 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. Romans 12. If you could open your Bibles, please. I want to read what it says for the lights. I'll probably use my phone. Romans 12. Okay? 9 through 21. In my Bible, it has a subheading, Marks of the True Christian. Here's what the Bible reads. Love must be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another with mutual love. Showing eagerness in honoring one another. Do not lag in zeal. Be enthusiastic in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Endure in suffering. Persist in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. I'm going to pause right there. In Matthew 5. Um, Verses like 42 to 48, that's a good portion uh, of what perfection is. I hear so many times people say, well, I ain't perfect. I'm like, why not? Because in their mind, they think perfection means sinlessness. That's not what Christ teaches. Perfection means blamelessness or loving the way the Lord loves. How do I know that? Look at Job chapter 1 verse 1. Bible says he was perfect. Was Job a sinner? Yes, he was. But how was he perfect? Because even though he went through all those trials, he stood his ground and said, Lord, you are still my God. So we have in our minds that perfect means minus zero, no sin. Well, if that's the case, how come God says in Matthew five forty-eight? Be therefore perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. What he's saying, and then if you read the five or six verses prior to verse 48, he defines what perfection is. Love your enemies. Do good to them who despitefully use you. Bless them, not curse them. He defines what perfection is. The minus zero part of Being perfect is something different. That's in school, you have a test, minus zero, perfect score. Okay, that doesn't exist. But in this context, when Christ says be perfect, he's saying love the way I love. That's what he's talking about. And that Greek word is teleos, which means maturity. Be mature in how you love. You just can't love those who hook you up. That's not love. That's being in a posse, in a club. You got to love those who want your demise. You have to love the people who wish your marriage crumbles, who wish you lose your house. That comes from the Lord, that type of love. Come from the Lord. It's not innate. It comes from the Lord. But the only way to have that love is to be with the Lord. It's time to be perfect, church. So, where did I stop here? Do not lag and zeal enthusiastic. Okay, bless those, I'm, I'm at verse 14, Romans 12. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty but associate with the lowly. Do not be conceited. Why are we conceited? Do you know that from, in the Bible, Genesis 2, verse 7, we're basically the breath of God and dust? So you are putting your chest out. You are the breath of God combined with dust. You out there. What are you doing? You are the breath of God and dust put together. Lord gave you the capacity to be smart, to be CEO, to be a doctor, to be a nurse, to be whatever you are, a preacher, to be whatever you are. Be humble. Once God's breath is taken away, what happens to you? You drop. No CPR can help you. Nothing. You drop. Why are we conceited? Because the devil was like that when he was created. I'm the best angel. I should be worshipped. Why don't you say holy to me, too? Call me holy. Christ's like, relax, bro, you were created. You're not a creator. You were created. This is about having a personal walk with God. Don't stick your chest out. Be grateful for what God gave you, a big bank account. Keep on pursuing him, the Lord. Don't demean those who may have less than you. Because guess what? You ever heard this phrase? Then the the tables were turned. know what that means? The situation now is reversed. The person who you were stepping on, you're now asking them for help. You put your tail between your legs. Because when you were at your height, you were stepping on people to get to the top. And now you're asking someone for help. The Lord says, humble yourself and I will exalt you. But if you, hum- if you exalt yourself, I will abase you. I will bring you down. Okay, so let's see. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not be conceited. Verse 17, do not repay anyone for evil for evil. Consider what is good, before all people. If possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all people. Do not avenge yourselves, dear friends, but give place to God's wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Rather, if, you, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. This is about being perfect now. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing this, you will be heaping burning coals on his head, which means you're going to confuse him. How come this person who I want to have their life messed up is helping me out? They're going to be confused. Show the love. Show the love. Let God fight your battles. This morning, we're talking about in our lesson study, Daniel. Those punks who tricked the king, to sign that decree, what happened to those punks at the end? King said, take them with their families, put them in the lion's den. With their families, wives and children. It wasn't Daniel. Let God fight your battles. Let God fight And the reason why, when we see in biblical history, why the king said that, because he don't want anyone of the relatives of those punks to come back to get Daniel. So he wanted to protect Daniel. That was a law back then. Because if he just had those guys who tricked him to go in, into, into the uh, lion's den, well then their wives and children would be upset with Daniel and want to come, come after him. So that means everybody in the family has to die because of what the Father did. Let God fight your battles. He has a way of doing things that will make things all right. So, verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 13, 48. This is a chapter that Ellen White says we should read every day in our households. She says we should read every day in our households because this is a chapter of what love is like, how love is lived, okay? I'm going to read, read verses 4 to 8. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not envious. Love does not brag. Once again, brag is like a, a cousin of being conceited, cousin or a sibling of being conceited. It is not puffed up, which is conceited. It is not rude. It is not self-serving. It is not easily angered or resentful. It is not glad about injustice, but rejoices in the truth. Verse 7, it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Some says love never fails. But if there are prophecies they will be set aside. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there are, if there is knowledge, it will be set aside. Love, love, L O V E. Do you love him, Jesus? I made I made up this this uh this uh slogan or mantra years ago. But I'm putting it here in this sermon. Jesus is not returning for, to save the people who he loves, but he's returning to save the people who love him. Jesus Christ, who we worship, reason why we're here today, reason why we have Bibles in our home, reason why we pray, we do witnessing, we do evangelism, we do all these things. He's not coming to save the people who he loves. Uh-uh. Hello? he will come to save those who love him. Because think about it for a moment. It's just simple logic. If Christ, when he returns, will come to save the people who he loves, who will that be? Everyone who ever lived. That will be everyone. Which would mean what? There's no hell. Hello? He's coming to save those who love him. Him. Why? Nahum nine says, sin won't arise a second time. Even when Christ comes to save us, we will not be robots. We must still choose to love Him. That's how love exists. By free will. By free will, we must choose to love Him. Christ doesn't make robots. Whenever I say that, that uh, phrase, I'm reminded Doug Bachelor had this uh, amazing facts video, whatever what I saw somewhere, he was on stage and he was talking about the love of God. And he had this toy puppy that had batteries in it, and he pressed on, and that puppy was barking like a nice bark, and the tongue was coming out and the ears were going up and down, and the dog, the puppy, the toy puppy, looked happy. That's how the manufacturers programmed that puppy so that when parents buy that toy, the dog would be nice to their child. You press on, the puppy does a nice tongue out and the ears up and down. But he said, this toy puppy was programmed to do it. This puppy doesn't love me. He said, but this puppy, he put that toy puppy down and someone brought him a real puppy. But this puppy chooses to love me. That puppy was licking his face and all of that, and that puppy was happy. God does not make robots. Each day we have to choose him. And 1 Corinthians 15, verse 31, Paul says, I die daily. What does he mean by that? Every day I die to my selfish. Motives, I die to my selfish will and say, Lord, show me how I should live today. Show me how I should live today. Each day, 365, this year, 366 days of the year. Lord, show me today how I will, how I should live. When we leave here, And again, in our our cars, what will you do if someone cuts you off on McHenry Avenue or on on the highway? uh, How will your speech be in the car? After you came from church, after you had potluck, when you're driving home, someone cuts you off and that person gives you the one-finger salute. How will you respond? That's real life. Your walk with Christ is what's important. The, all these stories in the Bible are secondary. Do you love him? If you do, if you love him, then get rid of whatever is keeping you from truly loving him. Envy, arrogance, stubbornness, pride, laziness, gossiping, cheating, lying, premarital sex, Cursing, hatred, the list goes on. There could be 50 more words there, 100 more words. There are endless things could be on this list. Help me, Lord, to be like you. What is the prerequisite? Love. God demands that our character is rooted in him, is rooted in love, because that is the only attribute that he accepts in glory. We can't take what we have with us. We can't take our cars, our yachts, our mansions, our titles, our whatever. We can't even take our looks. Go we're going to be changed and tweaking of an eye. We can't take our clothes. We can't take anything except who we are. Because who we are will determine on the new earth if we will remain faithful to the Lord. Remember, God is not in the business of making robots. He makes, he creates people that choose him or have the ability to choose him or not. Love only exists when there's a chance for it not to exist. You have to have have that walk with the Lord. So the prerequisite for salvation is love. I'm going to say this as well before our last slide. I'm going to say this. When church ends today, When we were having the children's story, we had like 15 kids up here. I sat here too. Doctor sat here too. About 15 kids, 20 kids probably here. But when church ends today, only two of those kids will go in my Highlander home. I love all those kids who were here. I hope all those kids become uh, successful in life only two of those kids are going home with me and those two kids are the ones who look like me I'm going somewhere with these people please hear me out I'm almost done about one minute left or so the two that look like me when Christ comes again he loves all the seven billion people on this earth but he's only taking home the ones who look like him. And how do you look like Jesus? Love. Love. This guy. Jesus loves you this much. How much do you love him? As we play our last Music, song. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Hear my voice, oh God. Do you love the Lord? In my prayer. In a way that when He returns, preserve my life. He will pick you out of the seven billion from fear to go home with Him. Evening. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. It's you and the Lord Behind right now. Me. Jesus loves every person alive. Matter of fact, every person who died, every person who will be born, he loves all these people, all of us. But when he comes back, he will only take the ones who look like him. Do we look like Jesus? Do we love like Jesus? So love the wicket from the workers of Behold I stand at the door and knock, Christ is knocking, will you open that door and let Him in? He can change your heart. He gives us His Holy Spirit. The prerequisite to salvation is love. God is love. By the Holy Spirit's guidance, we must make our calling and election sure. We can fool Pastor John Tilley. We can fool the elders, the deacons, anyone here. But we can never fool the Lord. Maybe look like Jesus by loving like Jesus. May the Lord be with all of us as today's service terminates. Amen.